Welcome to episode 15 of the WebJoy podcast. I'm your host, Eddie. In this podcast, we interview guests about their origin story and what makes them excited and joyful to be part of the tech community. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You have to be so sympathetic to the machine with Layla. I'm excited to have Layla here joining us. So Layla, you know, who are you? What do you do? Where do you work? Just the deets. Well, hi, Eddie. Hi, everyone listening. As Eddie says, my name is Layla. I am a developer advocate at VMware, and I'm pretty well ensconced in the .NET community. I'm a C-sharp developer. I'm a Microsoft MVP, GitHub star. I'm the founder of Women of .NET, and I speak internationally about .NET stuff. (laughs) Awesome. That's interesting. You don't hear a whole lot about .NET lately, I guess, at least in my circles. Do you feel like .NET is still thriving? What do you think about the .NET ecosystem? It's thriving. Microsoft are really investing in it. We've had some great new frameworks coming out this past year. We have .NET MAUI, which is a replacement for Xamarin. And that will enable you to do mobile development and things like that. We have the very exciting Blazor that's been around for a few years now. And there's two flavors of that. And it's C-sharp in the browser, which is awesome if you're a C-sharp developer and don't really like touching JavaScript. It's epic. It's wonderful. So that's pretty exciting, as well as new releases of the .NET framework and language every November, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. So I guess C-sharp in the browser, is that using Wasm? Yeah. Web assembly for those not as involved with browser development. That's pretty cool. I did not expect that. (laughs) Yeah, there's two versions. There's one where it uses an interpreter, which will run the .NET DLLs on WebAssembly. And that's the most common one. So there is a little bit of slowness. It's not native WASM, but you can compile to get your .NET application into native WebAssembly. It does make it a little bit bigger and things like that, but you can do that if speediness is the way you want to go, but it's usually not necessary unless you're doing really intense computational stuff. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. I've already learned something today. (laughs) Aha, good. I'm pleased. What was your journey like getting into tech? Did you start in .NET world? Did you just find yourself there over time? What's that kind of look like for you? The first bit of code I wrote was ActionScript for Flash way back when. And then I dabbled in a little bit of iPod development, like 2010. I think the first iPhone was just coming out. And then I got more into web development. I'd already been doing a little bit of CSS and HTML, but I was a Pilates teacher and professional horse rider. And I needed to build my own website with help of my partner, who is a web developer. And he built it all out for me. I did all the front end and this was an online booking system. And then I was like, well, I really want to be able to query what customers have been doing X, Y, and Z or whatever that query might be. And he's like, well, you better learn how to write them yourself. So I was like, oh, 
okay then, which was <laughs> how I then started writing C sharp and learning how to do that. And then I loved it. And my Pilates business wasn't super successful. I couldn't scale it because people only wanted me to teach them, which is a common thing I hear in the industry. People get very stuck with their particular teacher. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to switch careers. So in 2016, I got my very first full stack.net web developer job agency. So my working career has always been in the .net ecosystem. Wow. Awesome. I would like to call back to, you said you were a professional horse rider. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people in their industry that have done like career changes, particularly now with COVID and layoffs and everything that happened in 2020. I've run into a lot of people who are like, I've been a teacher, I've been this, I've been that, you know, now I want to get into tech. You're the first person that I've met that was a professional horse rider that has career transition. <laughs> How'd you get involved in that? That sounds awesome. Since I was little, I used to go to pony shows and jump and bounce and fall off horses and then I stopped when I went to college and then after college I was lucky enough to live somewhere where I could ride my mum had horses then so she just said why don't you come and ride this old horse so I did started back up again and I was doing dressage which I hadn't really done as a kid but I was much happier doing that because it was much safer as an adult I did a whole load of dressage and started competing I can be quite competitive which is when I started to really push for it and then I had the opportunity to give up work and ride full-time so I seized that opportunity and moved to Mallorca the island in the Mediterranean and rode horses full-time there competing them at quite a high level and then moved back to the UK and was coaching people on their horses and still competing and that's how I got into Pilates because I wanted to help people on and off the horse. Wow, that's a fun journey. You know, you've <laughs> done a lot of really different things, which is really cool. One thing about our industry is it can be really myopic, right? You can have a lot of people with a lot of the same experiences thinking and doing all the same stuff. And one thing I love is when you get into areas or companies or groups, open source or whatever, where you have people that have all these different life experiences and it just gives such a different perspective. So I love that. Completely. When I was young, I grew up in the Midwest of the US. And so there was definitely plenty of land and animals and stuff. So I joined something called Pony Club, yep. where we could go and they taught us how to ride. I didn't do it very long. My sister did it much longer than me. I did it for like a year or something. And then I was like, all right, that was fun. But I don't want to get the horse going fast enough that I can fall off. And so I was like, <laughs> I'll end my horse career here. Wise decision because falling <laughs> off can be very painful. <laughs> I imagine so. Well, cool. One of the main things we try to talk about in WebJoy is what brings us joy, what we've been into, what's something you'd like to talk about today? So I'm a big fan of systems. I moved further into backend web development as opposed to the front end. And I really enjoyed that, but I did miss the front-endy bit of it, that creative design. And then recently I started with a little bit of game development in Unity. And that kind of does the back-end systems for me, loads and loads of systemy stuff. And I get to do fun, creative stuff in the front end that doesn't involve CSS and JavaScript. Yay, win-win. <laughs> nice. That is really awesome. 
back before I ever started programming professionally, I had a friend who was working on, it was a .NET game that had a little SNES graphics and was like a massive multiplayer online thing. So they built this little client that connected to the server and allowed everyone to move their little SNES people around the screen. I didn't get to do a whole lot with that, but got to do a little bit with that. That was fun. So game development is actually close to my heart, even though I've not done a whole lot of it. So what kind of got you interested in exploring game development is kind of a little bit outside the realm of website building, application development, that kind of thing. So I stream a lot on Twitch and my partner was dabbling in game dev. He was burnt out with web dev and he built these virtual studios for me, which are really awesome on my Twitch stream. And I get embedded into them and they're, they're completely 3D. I have a graveyard, I have a penthouse, I have a snowy winter wonderland. So they're really cool. And uh, I guess I was a bit nosy and he's doing all this cool stuff. And I'm like, oh, here I am doing yet another crud system. I think I'd quite like to go and have a little dabble and a play with this game dev malarkey. And being a .NET developer, the obvious choice is Unity because it's all written in C Sharp and it's a pretty awesome game engine. A lot of big games are built in it. So yeah, I downloaded it. I did some tutorials. I enjoyed it. I work on some of the stuff that he does. I tweak my rooms and it's like the hobby for me. It's that creative thing that I don't have to get paints out and get messy or get clay, which I like doing as well. I can quickly sit down and do something creative without making a whole load of mess. I do make a mess in the code, but you know, <laughs> physical mess, shall we say. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, I mean, hey, behind every game or web is some horrendous messy code that no one wants to see. Yeah, <laughs> we all yeah, pretend no it's one wants not to there. See that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like your closet when people are about to come over. You just grab all the junk and you shove it in the closet, you shut the door, and as long as no one opens the door, everything's okay. I like that analogy. That's so true as well. I throw all the shoes into the downstairs cupboard. I like this door will shut and all the coats are bulging out. Yep. Yep. That's a pretty good analogy for what some of my code looks like. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, you've done a lot of different like development, right? We might build software as a service where it's more of a crud application you've got game dev what are some of the differences there from your experiences so web development you can be so lazy you can have <laughs> such expensive code you can really really just throw caution to the wind and do expensive computations and be like yeah it's fine not to worry gaming <laughs> oh wow oh wow it's like how can i do this without doing another loop or iteration oh that's going to make everything grind to a halt you have to be so sympathetic to the machine that your game is going to run on and that's both like a confinement but it's liberating because you have to really think 
about how you're going to structure your code. What patterns are you going to use? But why I like it is it makes me delve into stuff in the C-sharp language that I don't generally have to use because I'm a web developer <laughs> and I can go in and go, oh, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, oh, that's cool. Oh yeah, I do remember that. And that's why, and I can see the use for it. Uh, so that's been fascinating. And I've gone off into little explorations of code, little like passing references around and just seeing how that happens. Cause that's really, a big deal in game development but you don't really think about it in web development you're like yeah I'll just new up a new object whatever and yeah you just don't think about that so that's one of the big differences that you can be super lazy in web <laughs> development that makes complete sense it's so funny because it seems in the react world much more standard that you do a bunch of javascript object creation and deletion because it's so much easier for the developer experience but it's got to be somewhat computational you'll be like all right object equals and then i'm going to explode this into different variables and then you create a new object using some of those variables and because all this object creation and destruction it's interesting I'm mostly JavaScript and I never came across or knew that there was like sets as opposed to arrays because an array basically did everything I needed. The thing about a set in JavaScript is it's more performant. And so it was actually, like you said, we can be so lazy. One of the most similar times I've had to your game development experience is we were building a network visualizer at a cybersecurity software as a service that I was working for. And this thing was intense. Like we were talking about dealing with like 1500 nodes and we were building out a visual graph and it was so slow. We ended up having to put the data onto the graphics card to calculate it really fast using like RGB stuff and then pull that data back in to display it. And so for the first time in my entire career, we actually had to care about the performance like you're talking about. So I started looking into set and how many times we were doing loops and everything you were talking about with game development. And since then I've thought, should I use set like in this? And most of the time I'm like, nah, that's okay. Even though it's more performant, it's like most of the time it's like, ah, that's more of a hassle than it's worth if I don't need the performance. So I love that differentiation. That's really interesting. Yeah, everything in Unity is into dictionaries. Dictionaries are super duper duper quick. And I'm like, I never use a dictionary. I create like complex objects and, you know, <laughs> all of that and collections. Oh, I love a good collection. Those differences that are so interesting. Um, and anytime you need to go onto the graphics card, as you discovered, that's a whole different world. And I haven't really gone into that, but I hear my partner getting very annoyed about doing stuff on the graphics cards and shaders and things like that. And I'm like, I'm just going to do my, my, my very easy bit of game development. <laughs> yeah, I would stick to that. I didn't understand half of what I was doing. Really, I was just going on Stack Overflow and copy and pasting open source algorithms. <laughs> And it worked. <laughs> it worked in the in quote marks there. <laughs> yeah. It worked in that it was faster than when I didn't use the graphics card. Win-win. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Who knows what people would have thought if they actually were used to using the graphics card and they looked at my code. <laughs> Horrified, but they again, it's that downstairs closet that you've shoved everything in, so no one will know. That's right. <laughs> 
As we wrap up today, one of the big things we really like to focus on is as a community, how do we support each other? And so I'm just curious, do you have anything that you're involved in or that you've worked on that you'd like to share with the community that maybe would be helpful to them? Yeah, so there is the Women of .NET initiative that I created last July 2020. And I just left the board of directors for the .NET Foundation because I thought I could do more for women in the community outside of the foundation. So I didn't run again and I created the initiative. It started off as a profile site for women speakers because I was always getting DM'd on Twitter like, Layla, do you know of any women speakers who could speak at my meetup on this day and I was like I am not the social secretary of all women.net speakers I'm not so I created the site as if I could point people to that and say yeah go have a look and see who's talking about interesting stuff for your group and then I wanted to do more about nurturing women coming into .net.net is an older community so you're asking if it's thriving it is but it's aging so we don't have the new blood coming in. They all want to do cool stuff like JavaScript. (laughs) (laughs) But with things like Blazor and minimal APIs now, which look really like a a Node Express app, it's so much easier for people to come in and and try C-sharp and .NET. And it is super quick, super, super, super quick. So it's highly performant. It's strongly typed. It's really easy to learn. It's very readable. And so I wanted to create ways that communities could encourage women and girls to come and try code and learn. So at the moment, I'm working with some of the women at Microsoft, creating workshops in a box so we can run a workshop day, a little bit like Django Girls does, where you get all the source materials that you need and how to run the workshop and a user group can just put one on and they don't have to really struggle to do it. They just provide the venue, advertise it, and we provide it. So we're working on that at the moment. And we have a Discord community that we're trying to grow where women can come in and chat. We're very ally friendly. I don't think a subset of a community is successful without the support of allies. So we strongly encourage all allies. So that's non-women identifying people coming into the group and supporting us, chatting with us, being mentors or being mentored by women. Awesome. I love that. And I think one huge thing there is oftentimes as we're trying to shift the over-representation of cis men, oftentimes it can be like, oh, now all the men are going to you know, mentor the women because they're overrepresented and underrepresented. I love the flip of that of like, hey, someone who doesn't identify as a woman can come and join this community and be mentored by a woman. And like that helps flip a lot of the kind of incorrect paradigms of tech. So I love that. Well, cool. How can someone get involved. I just pushed the redesign of the website. So it's looking a little bit snazzier. Cool. I've been fighting a lot with JavaScript. So JavaScript and I are even less friendly with each other than normal, but it's fine. And that is womenof.net. People can always reach out to me. My DMs are always open. I'm on Twitter. Thank you so much for coming on and joining and sharing your thoughts and your experience, Layla. Oh, thank you, Eddie. It's been a joy. Thank you for joining us for episode 15. 
you have to be so sympathetic to the machine with Layla. You can find out more about Layla on her Twitter, at Layla Codes It. You can find links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as a link to Layla's Twitter in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, help others discover it as well by rating and reviewing it in your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at WebJoyFM. Thank you for listening, and have a great day. Bye!